Hi everyone, it's Bill Black, the Exit Coach from the Exit Coach Radio Show. You know, one of the biggest questions I get on the show is what exactly goes into a business exit plan and when should I start creating mine? Well, I always tell people that the best time to start was five years ago, but the next best time is now because you never know when you might need it. So we put together a free report that describes what an exit plan is and what you should know. You can get it free by texting exit plan with no spaces to 44222. That's exit plan to 44222. Again, text exit plan to 44222. Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Well, hey, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me once again today. Pleasure to have you with me. Uh, you know, every so often we have guests on that uh, we, we just scratch the surface of the content. And uh, it's always fun to have them come back. And today we have asked uh, Ed Epley to join us again from the Epley Group. Um, Ed has written a book called Let's Be Clear, Six Disciplines of Focused Management Professionals. And he, he helps uh, executive teams, CEOs, and owners create clarity so they and their teams can focus. And this helps their business advance versus oscillate. So uh, we're going to talk about some interesting uh, topics coming up today, uh, but uh, t- we're going to focus today on, uh, uh, on a little bit on Ed's background and, and what he's done and some of the new developments in his industry. So Ed, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for joining me once again. Great to be with you, Bill. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Ed. Uh, you know, uh, last time we talked a bit about your book and and something in your book called The Gap Trap and some of the other interesting stories that you had. Can just, before we get into the topic of today, can you tell our listeners just a little bit about you and your background and, and what you do with the Epley Group? Well, I, uh, I've come to realize uh, much later in life that I was an entrepreneur, even though I'd never thought of myself as one because of all of the different businesses I had started or created. And, and I, I just uh, found myself over and over again starting businesses from the time I started raising hogs as a kid as 4-H project and turned that into a business. I had an um, advertising agency I created as a result of being in the radio advertising sales business. I uh, started a manufacturer's rep agency when a company asked me to start uh, representing them. Um, and then uh, got into the training business with Dale Carnegie Training and ended up buying franchises. So I always seem to be on the, the, the starting of businesses. I find that once I do that, I don't really enjoy and probably not that good at actually operating them. So uh, I've, I've uh-huh. taken that to heart, and as a result of that, I've started working with businesses and helped them avoid the mistakes that I clearly uh, too often made as, as a business owner myself. Yeah, I understand you uh, paid your first income tax bill at age 14. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's pretty early. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. And, and at age 66, that's a long time to be sending the IRS money. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably wondering what the heck's going on with this. Like most, most kids when they get their first check and want to know who is FICA and why am I paying so much into that. Um, now, yeah, yeah. as you started your firm, uh, you know, you, like you said, uh, you wanted help to help people um, uh, understand issues and problems and, and avoid some of the things yeah. that you'd seen. Uh, but th- yeah. there's another reason that you you started your firm and 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 why your clients pay you 
because uh, you know, as, as I've read, you you make complex things seem simple. Um, so how do you do that? How, how, is that just a gift? I, I think it. I think it's a combination of both intuitive and you know nature and nurture. I think um, one, my mind tends to see patterns. I'm a, I'm a fairly intuitive guy, so I see two or three. Uh, data points and and as a result i can draw a picture and more often than not it's fairly accurate it's not always you know 100 percent accurate but i can i can i can fill in the blanks pretty easily so that's that's something that i've been gifted with but also over time bill i'm sure you've seen this that there's certain uh patterns that show back up in a business based upon its size its age uh the competitive nature of the landscape it's in uh the kind of person that's running it so um, there's very th- there's very very predictable things that you can see in a business if they are you know 40 or 50 employees and they're six years old and they're in a fast growing uh, business you, you can kind of can predict there's certain kinds of things that are going to be going on in that business and you get credited a credit for being more uh, smarter than you probably are but it's just because you've seen it plenty of times. Right. Yeah, that makes yeah, and that makes sense. And most of course most owners. They they're in their own forest, you know. They're they're they they don't have the experience now. A lot of owners are getting out in. uh, It seems like getting into more groups like well, there's one called Vistage Worldwide that's very big, where a bunch of CEOs get together and talk about their issues and their problems. But they're not really living inside of each other's businesses. They're hearing the cliff notes about what's going on. Uh, and I think that must be very helpful, but there's nothing like having someone come in, uh, get to know the people that um, that uh, are, are part of the issue and kind of identifying them. What, what are some of the common um, factors that you see when you go into a business like that and you look around? Is it Do, do you see uh, common management issues that need to be taken care of? There, there are three dimensions that I use to look at any business, um, and based upon uh, those three dimensions and then the size of the business, you can pretty well know there's a certain kind of, of problems that will be more likely to be present than others. So the, the three dimensions are how smart is the business, So um, uh, and this really comes as a result of the work I did with Pat Lencioni and the, the table group. Uh, the smart means, you know, do they have the right technology, strategy, finance, marketing, the, the traditional pillars that most businesses use to scale their business and, and allow it to grow, hopefully, profitably. The health of the business is is about the culture. It's about how uh, purpose-driven the organization is versus, you know, profit-driven. It's um, how political um, uh, is the environment, how, how much do people or how how often do people stop before they speak to ask themselves, should I say this? And if I do, how should I say it so that I don't get in trouble? So that's a that's a big factor. How how much clarity exists in the business? How how able are people to focus at lower levels in the business, or do they constantly get whipsawed back and forth? So that smart versus healthy balance is really crucial to decide uh, and and to recognize. And then the third dimension is the impact of the behavior of the executive team on both of those other dimensions, because uh, the behavior that you and I exhibit both as, you know, spouses, significant others, parents has a tremendous impact on our families. Everybody would know that and agree with that. But likewise, the behavior I exhibit really impacts the smart uh, dimension. And it also has a huge impact on the healthy dimension. So 
Those are the three dimensions. And then you overlay that. If, if a company's uh, 50 people, let's say it's uh, under 100 people, more often than not, Bill, that organization is much healthier than they are smart. If we go uh, to an organization that's 500 people and above, those organizations are almost always smarter than they are healthy. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, I'm getting it. It's uh, uh, I'm trying to come. I'm coming. Trying to come to grips with why would a, a smaller business be more healthy than smart? Because let, they let have me, less. Let me okay. add a couple of thoughts. Okay. Yeah, it's it's typically when when somebody starts a business, their their primary motive usually isn't money. You know, uh, they they usually are trying to. Um, fulfill a dream. They are tired of working for other people. Um, they see they see something that other people don't see that they feel compelled to act on. And so they what they end up doing is because they're uh, driven by some passion or purpose, they tend to be able to attract around them other people who want to be part of that dream and that vision and that purpose. Um, and and oftentimes, you know, they can't pay much. They don't have great benefits, if any. Uh, but people are still infected with the enthusiasm of the founder. Um, and so that tends to be the health side of the business. And, and that overcomes so many other mistakes and incapacities that the business might have uh, in terms of, you know, strategy, structure, finance, marketing, those traditional kinds of things. Uh, and they, they, they succeed in spite of themselves not having those smart tendencies. So that's why we typically see small businesses, even if they're not well run, still survive because people are given their very best efforts and they are not afraid to tell the truth. And, um, you know, there, there's a, a, an ability to fail fast and then move on and fix it. And uh, you don't know what you don't know, but sometimes that allows you to succeed in spite of yourself. That makes sense. Would another would another way to be to put it is is health is also uh, driven by passion. Um, so so a company can be uh, very passionate, not making much money, but uh, everybody's on the same page. Everybody understands the mission statement. Everybody's um, yep. You know, everybody's showing up with their their best work. Um, and yep. I see some companies where they start off that way, and then they learn good habits. And then companies with deeper pockets hire hire away some of those tough those those good people <laughs> that had that passion, right? <laughs> and they're they're like, yeah, well, well, I'm not. I don't feel I don't feel passionate anymore. Everybody's stealing away my best people. <laughs> yeah, Bill, and and you you got me excited even talking about this. But the uh, forgive me for getting so so wrapped up in it. But the 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 truth is that you know so often what you'll see is when the company gets to three four hundred people and now they get uh, formal structure. It's not unusual for the founder to even say, this isn't fun anymore. You know, it's, it's a business now. We have to grow up and be, be mature and have meetings and budgets and all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, and so the, the, the things that the entrepreneur loves and it makes them want to start a business don't exist as much as they did in the in, in the beginning, and and as a result, sometimes the health of the business suffers. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I mean, and it is. You add to that when you have several hundred people, and uh, the, they all have the potential to make your life miserable with, uh, with all of the rules and regulations and lawyers and all you know all the things out there. It, it it's not the same. Uh, 
let let's uh, let's change the world mentality that they start with for sure. Um, so uh, you mentioned to me that there's uh, uh, some new things going on in your industry. You can uh, test an ent- entire executive team yeah. for their individual and collective ability to make money. Uh, let's let's talk about that. Yeah. What's what's happening there? Yeah, it's a uh, it's the premise of behavioral finance is the is the discipline that's emerging. Have you seen the move, movie The Big Short, Bill? Yes, yes. It's uh, about the mortgage. Uh, yeah, it's it's a wonderful movie, and and there's a scene in there where they're in the the casino, and uh, Selena Gomez is sitting at the table with this gentleman, and perhaps forgive me, I can't remember his name, but he's the guy who won the Nobel Prize for behavioral economics, behavioral finance. And the premise behind behavioral finance says that people want to believe they're rational when it comes to making financial decisions. But the truth is the vast majority of us are not rational when we make the decisions we make regarding financial decisions. And uh, as evidence of that, I'll ask people in any group, social or business setting, and they'll I'll say how many of, a, of us have made decisions financially that we know in hindsight were really dumb decisions and everybody's hand goes up. And so the question becomes, well, why did we make those decisions? Because at the time we thought those were, were really good, prudent decisions, but in fact they weren't. And, in, and if somebody had been counseling us, in most cases they would have said we shouldn't have done it. Um, so the behavioral finance now has, has gotten to the point where we can test people on two dimensions. One is the capacity to innovate um, or create value that really shows up as gross margin. Um, and then the other uh, dimension or axis that we would test people on is the amount of resource that they use in order to do the work they do or produce an outcome. And based upon where people are plotted on those two axes or dimensions, you come up with a, a predetermined kind of behavior that people will exhibit um, and the impact that will have on the business, either positively or negatively. So that's the that's the powerful assessment that's now available. And uh, the real interesting thing about it is uh, in working with the guy who came up with this, his name is Dr. Ted Prince, and the uh, organization is called PERTH, the P-E-R-T-H, PERTH Leadership. Uh, Ted uh, has identified that about almost 90% of people are hardwired not to make money. Wow. That's incredible. It's it's a it's a high it's actually eighty eight percent of people are hardwired to either break even or 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 use more capital if you will than they create um so it's it's disproportionately weighted but it, it in most regards i think if you think about the Pareto principle and you know twenty percent of the salespeople produce eighty percent of the results mm-hmm. uh twenty percent of the, the the things that we do produce eighty percent of the value that we create. That, that's really not out of out of line with that that Pareto principle, but 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 his data and and the work he's doing is 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 showing that to be fairly consistent. And so that means if you've got a group of ten people running a business, generally speaking, one to two of them are going to be the ones who are hardwired to. If if you think about it, they're going to see things through the lenses that would allow them to make better financial decisions and that, that would essentially offset all the other money that everybody else is going to lose. Yeah. Well, so far, you know, this explains Vegas. Number one, (laughs) Uh, if 90% Mm -hmm. of people are, (laughs) will break even or lose. But on the other side of things, uh, could the argument be made, Ed, that if armed with these tools uh, can a company change that percentage 
uh, by doing better evaluations? And is that the is that the idea behind this? Can you ever get to eighty twenty instead of twenty eighty? Um, the 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 proof is still uh, to be had about how successful people are or organizations can be in in making the moves that you're discuss- describing. But clearly. You know, Vegas doesn't try to win every bet that's placed at their tables, right? What do they try to do? They try right. to win it, they try to win more than they lose. And and so what you're really trying to do with behavioral finance and testing is to improve your odds that more often than not you're going to do the things that you should. For example, um the people who are hardwired to see opportunity to create value um more often than not um have behavioral characteristics that make them not easy to manage. And that mm-hmm. on the surface probably doesn't sound that unusual, uh, but mm-hmm. but what typically happens in the bigger companies, these people who are hardwired to more likely make uh, high-value decisions that have high margin associated with them, hence create more capital than they use, those people oftentimes leave big companies because they can't stand being managed the way they're managed and, and forced into these boxes and have all these rules. A lot of these people who are high-value creators are uh, entrepreneurial kinds of people, but you can't judge them um, cosmetically. You can't, they're, they're not necessarily charismatic. They're not necessarily uh, overt in all they do. A lot of times they, they're, they're, they stand in the background and they observe and they watch and they, they have thoughts, but they don't bring them to the forefront because a lot of times they know people will poo-poo them. Um, so, the the real key here is uh, two things that I would say if I were if I knowing what I know now if I was the CEO of a business I'd want to test the people I have on my executive teams you know the top uh, uh, level or first two levels of the business because I'd want to know their hard wiring to know how who are the people that are predisposed to more likely create these high value decisions than others and it's not that people who aren't hardwired that way can't make high value, but you know the odds are stacked against them kind of a thing. And then the second thing I would be really working for is recognizing how do we behave as a business overall collectively versus the industry we're in. Are we we more conservative or less conservative than the kind of work we do? If I'm in the steel industry, that's a commodity industry, um, but but, but if I got a bunch of people that behave like high-tech people, well, there's some good news to that, but there's some also bad news to that. And and so I need to recognize that and, and think about the behavior we should be exhibiting if we're going to be successful for in the steel industry. So that's that's really the essence of it, Bill, from my point of view, is how do we as a team behave and as an organization behave relative to the people we have to compete with? Very, very interesting. And uh, within the, you know, there are a lot of uh, – human characteristic kind of studies out there, uh, quite yeah. a few of them, Myers-Briggs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, with, within some of those, uh, what they ultimately try to do is help management address how to best communicate with these different types of individuals as they become characterized, yeah. uh, right? Uh, yeah. Does does this yeah. uh, study also uh, – is it also accompanied with that? What you know? Not, now that you have this knowledge, what do you do with it? Yeah, it, it's it's actually you know I'm I'm certified in Myers Briggs and I've been through about every kind of assessment that you can think of along the way, um, and the interesting or ironic reason of why Dr. Prince even started this business of Perth Leadership was was because he was 
as a, C, a former CEO himself, um, he was always confused why certain people uh, who did everything that the textbook said you should in terms of how you behave as a great leader and how you treat others ran marginally successful businesses, and, and yet there were all, all these other people who, you know, contrary to the books, oftentimes were jerks and, and you might even say sometimes nasty people and made a lot of money. And so he was trying to put the cause and effect to that, and that's why he started going down this path and doing the, the study. And so I think um, Myers-Briggs, uh, because I'm pretty familiar with it, uh, essentially assigns, you know, behavioral tendencies. It's, it's a preference for behavior is what Myers-Briggs right. defines. And, but, it doesn't, but it doesn't assign a consequence of that behavior from a financial point of view. So I'll say that one more time. If I'm introverted or extroverted, Myers-Briggs doesn't assign any consequence to the P&L or the balance sheet of me being one or the other. Right, uh, right. But, 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 but what first leadership does, it says if you're introverted or you're extroverted, here's how that would affect the P&L. And that's, that to me is the missing link. And that's why I think it's so powerful and frankly, it's one of the most disruptive assessments that I've ever seen executives get their hands on because the majority of them find out that their hard wiring is oftentimes counterproductive to what they want to produce for the business. And the good news is, even though they're hardwired a certain way, it doesn't limit what their behavior can be. And so that's what I, I love about this is all of a sudden now I can show an executive or an executive team, here's the bias, here's the lenses through which you view the world individually and collectively – and you need to understand that bias in terms of how it will affect the, the P&L or the balance sheet that you're, you're trying to create. And, and now you can adjust your behavior uh, in different directions to better, more likely produce the outcome you want and can consider also the impact it has on the culture that you have for the business and whether people are happy or not happy. That's fascinating. It's, you know, uh, yeah. there, there, there continue to be additional dimensions to uh, – uh, these uh, kind of human assessments, uh, and uh, this sounds like a real breakthrough. Uh, Ed, it, w if someone were to go to your website to learn more about that, there's a site, there's a place on your website under resources for free assessment. Is that is that what we're talking about, or is that something else? It is actually something else, but but uh, I'll I'll do. Doctor Doctor Ted Prince is the founder of Perth Leadership. And people can find uh, a lot of information from, from Ted on his website. So it's perthleadership.org. Um, and, um, and, but if they, if they have any trouble finding it, they can reach out to me on my website and let me know, and I'll be glad to connect them. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, a lot of times what, what people want to, to know is, well, that I, I understand the study. I want someone to help me interpret it for my best use. Uh, because it sounds like this could be a real game changer for for a business that's uh, that needs to become uh, uh, smarter and healthier, and, and that's what you do. That's what you do to help people. Uh, quick question before we before we go is: What's more important, the culture the company has, or the structure they use? It's probably not a quick question. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's a double edged uh, answer, but but if I can only have one correct. Bill, I'd rather have the right culture because I can fix structure easier than I can fix a broken a broken culture. Um, as 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 hard as it is to change the structure of a business, the people we have, the processes, the the way they're uh, deployed, 
any anything that touches our resources is is essentially the structure. So that's complex and it's hard to get it right. But having said that, it's even more important that the culture be right because if that's right, we can fix anything else in the business. Um, but if it's bad, it's it's an absolute uh, limit on what the business can become, and will will frustrate the really talented people. The best ones will often leave if the culture is not right. And you know that you you've witnessed it. I'm sure in your in your journeys, Bill. And and uh, I'm, I'm I'm I'd be shocked if somebody would say it's the other way around. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's been in my experience too. If you if you have the culture and and really. You know, listeners, you've heard some great wisdom today about the three dimensions. Um, how are you showing up? How are you showing up to your culture? Uh, oftentimes, that that's the beginning, the beginning of uh, of the development of the culture, or or could be the beginning of the change of the culture if you can change the way that maybe you're running your business. Wouldn't you agree, Ed? Absolutely. And um, just for your listeners, uh, the EppleyGroup.com is my website. Um, and uh, I, I want to give everybody a heads up. We're in the process of, of starting to change our free assessment that we have for the professional management disciplines. So over the next uh, 60 to 90 days, we'll be redoing our assessment that, that will probably better reflect the three dimensions. Right now, it's based around the six professional disciplines that's in my book, Let's Be Clear. Um, but, but we're going we're to move it to more of a, of a three-sided triangle. So it will be about the smart side, the health side, and then the behavioral side that affects both of those. Always a pleasure to be with you, Bill. Same here, Ed. Yes, and uh, listeners, go to uh, V-T-H-E-E-P-P-L-E-Y-Group.com. Find out what uh, Ed is up to as his, as his journey evolves. It's brilliant information. Wouldn't hurt you at all to take the free assessment uh, and, and learn more about how you can have a better business moving forward. Again, uh, Ed makes the complex things seem simple, so don't be afraid. It's going to be too complicated. Ed, you, you communicate beautifully, <laughs> clearly. Appreciate it. Our listeners appreciate it and look forward to the next time we speak. Always a pleasure, Bill. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 